Hi, everybody. This is Mike Hancock. I'm the chairman of the Circle of Excellence group of companies, which includes worldwide business okay. intelligence. And I, today I have a very special guest. Thank you for your background noise. So today I have a very, very special guest, um, Stuart Patton, uh, currently based in Malaysia and uh, living in Penang, been in his apartment for 12 months and uh, originally from the UK. Stuart, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you here. Let's, let's get underway because we want to get into the guts of this pretty quickly. But maybe let's start by um, just going back to, you know, you'll be, you being brought up. I know you wanted to be a professional uh, footballer, soccer player, and you're actually okay. really, really good at it. Um, so tell us a little bit about growing up and then leaving the UK and how long ago that was. Um, well, I, I think as I, as I reflect back now, I think I was very fortunate to, to have the childhood I had. Um, I, was, uh, I was born in the southern part of the UK Lake District, so the mountains, lakes and sea. So my, my playground was basically forests and fields and woods and rivers. Um, and so I didn't probably appreciate so much at the time, but that's probably a great place to grow up when you're a child, you know, because you're not necessarily using um, toys or things given to you, you're using your imagination when you're creating ideas and concepts. So I was very fortunate to do that. I was big involved. I was very um, uh, sport orientated. Um, soccer was my big thing, as you said. And uh, so my, my passion was that one day, you know, Maybe I'll play for Liverpool and I'll play for England and this will be, this will be my life, it will be cool. And I did go for, for trials to, to uh, a then Premier League club called Blackburn Rovers. But when I got there, I realised I wasn't as good as I thought I was, which is kind of a, you know, a kick in the, in the face, should we say. But it was good because you realise there's a lot of talented people out there and, and uh, you know, some talent can only take you so far. But it was a great experience. But also that, that um, I also had an interesting time in education because um, my brother is an academic. My elder brother is an academic. And I went to the same school as him, uh, eight years later than him. And when I got there, the assumption was I was like him and we were completely different. You know, anybody got more than one child, you know, children are not the same. So, so but having said that, having been his brother, and, um, and him being very academic or in, you know, in, in terms of his approach to education, I got the same approach. Didn't work for me. You know, I mean, he would, do, he would come home and she would do his homework at night when he got back home. I would go outside and play football or cricket or whatever was, you know, the thing. I would do my homework at the bus stop on the, in the morning. Um, and that was because I didn't find myself being engaged by what I was being taught. Not the fact I wasn't uh, wanting to learn, but the way I was being taught didn't resonate with me. In fact, the only people who really I found um, to be super interesting were the ones who told stories or mm. the ones who, who ignited my imagination to want to learn more. So, so you know, I, I really enjoyed history. I enjoyed geography. Uh, I enjoyed um, geology, art. I was really good at art. I enjoyed woodwork, creating things, designing things. I didn't do so well at school in the maths and sciences because they're a very 
direct, here's a question, here's the answer scenario. Whereas I might say, but I've got four more questions. Shut up. This is the question, this is the answer, because that means you know to pass the test. And I would switch off, right? That wasn't for me. So I, I didn't realize that at the time. And, and in fact, I didn't do my degree uh, in business until I was 28 years old. I, mean, what I was happened 32. Was I, yep. yeah, so I, I fully appreciate yeah. that. And I think I've told you this story before too, but uh, you know, I topped English literature at school and, yeah. then, and then I did the government exam and I failed the government exam and I was devastated. This was in my final year. And I said to my yeah. English literature teacher, how could I fail the government exam? He said, oh, you're far too big a thinker for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, it's the education system as it was, wasn't designed for people like you and me, you know, as my good friend Don Tolman says, you've got to, you know, education's all about chant, memorizing answers to pre-prescribed questions to get a grade. I, I think, you know, we maybe we'll touch on this later, but there's, there's the reason why education is like it is, is because we take the wrong measurement in my view. You know, we, we are... We are measuring something that used to be important because that was relative to the future of work you might go into. And so we were measuring things. I mean, measuring things that we were pretty sure the answers were, were uh, compatible to other people's answers. So we could grade people accordingly. And it used to be, you know, when, you know, when my brother was, uh, got his degree, if you had a degree, you got a job anywhere because you got a degree. Um, now, if you've got a degree, you might work at McDonald's, not being putting McDonald's down, but, you know, it doesn't mean you got anything. So the value of a degree is now a commodity, but we still teach in the same way. So I think there's like, you know, there are a lot of things now happening within the, the context of education where probably the measurement we use to evaluate people is no longer relevant to the world people are going to move into. I'm not saying that we don't need a good general education or we need to be able to have some good academic skills. We do. But that's no longer enough to make you relevant or successful in the future of the world. And I think a lot of the things that, that we, we used to think were important are now moving more and more towards technology, towards AI, towards these sort of areas. So we've got to maximize human potential. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Let's, uh, let's not jump ahead into that just yet. Oh, let's come back to... How old were you when you left the UK and how did you end up from being somebody who sort of like me wasn't really uh, interested in, you know, the, the, the normal school things, you know, maths and science, et cetera. Although I, you know, I quite liked uh, biology, but, um, but, and got into the education field yourself. Well, I actually, um, I was 42 when I left the UK. And I was really successful. I was a, I was a director of a, of a very uh, large company. And I was on target probably to become, you know, maybe in the future managing director of the company. I'd already worked in different parts of the world. The company had been in Asia. I'd been to most parts of Europe. Um, and it was while, my, I, while I was in Asia, I felt that the future of my life was more tied to Asia than, than that point in the UK. Because I saw things moving more there, things happening. And I made a big decision. I mean, I, I was divorced, so I was single. I had no children. But I, I went to my, uh, my then colleague and HR director. I said, hey, I'm going to move to Hong Kong. And she said to me, it's fantastic. Have you got a job? I said, I've got a job for three months. She said, have you got a contract? I said, no, I haven't got a contract. So where are you going to live? I don't know. I forgot when I get there. 
And that was like a, at the time, it just, this just felt the right thing to do. But on the plane going over, I was thinking, well, what am I doing? I've got, I've got a job for three months. I've got, I'm not sure where I'm going to live. I'm leaving all this security behind, all this uh, confirmation of what I'm going to do in the future. For, for what? You know, I don't know what's going to happen. So I, so I, um, I got there. I spent uh, three months, sorry, three years working for the, a large um, Hong Kong company, successful Hong Kong company. I was the only Western guy in the company. I worked in China. I went to, to America. Uh, from there, I spent seven years in Indonesia working for myself, doing different things. I then went to the Philippines and, uh, and now I'm in, and back to Hong Kong and in Malaysia. And whilst back in Hong Kong, I got involved in education, but only through ed tech. I was interested how technology was going to change. And my, my, my interest in education came from the fact I was doing, I would say business coaching, but not in a formal way. But what I couldn't figure out is why everyone thought they weren't creative. If I asked anybody if they're creative, they would say no. No, I'm not creative. And I couldn't figure this out because, you know, be, if I have a class, if I have a classroom of five-year-old kids, are they creative? They'll go, yeah, I'm creative. I've, you know what? Or yep. have you got an answer? I've got an answer. If I have a, ask a class of 25-year-olds, nobody puts a hand up anymore. Yep. And I was trying to figure out why, why do we go from being super curious and creative when we're young to when we're old, this thing, we have got nothing. That's not who we are. And yet it's all inside us. We have it inside all the time. It's just we don't let it come out. And it doesn't come out because we fear of being wrong. And we fear of being wrong because we don't want to answer, we don't want to give the wrong answer to a question. And that's what education has been doing to us. It's been conditioning us to think there's one question, there's one answer. In fact, what education should be teaching us is think of all the questions you can, then go and figure out the answers. So, so this has been, you know, so, so my, I guess coming back to my, my, thing Mike was I my, my move to Hong Kong was like a huge change in my life like a big risk well having made that one risk risk to me is now part of life and without taking risk you don't do anything you don't change anything nothing moves yep. forward so I learned that you know that uh, what's the worst that can happen you know if you can deal with the worst that happen why do you take the risk what can you know the worst that can happen is I don't enjoy it I come back to find a job in the UK so what's to lose do it, you know, go and check it out, go and find out. And then each time you do that, you, you grow as a person. You know, you feel more confident. You're not fear of failure so much. You like to try things. You'll do different issues. And you start growing. And then you start thinking, wait a minute. Everyone's got more potential than they believe. It's just that we get conditioned down. And that was, that was always in the back of my mind, how to get people to believe they can do more than they think because they've been told they can't. They're all living with labels, you know. You are this, you are, and of course, if you're a, if you're a teacher and you tell a child you're no good at this, that goes into your subconscious there forever, and that stays there, which is crazy. And I can't so tell you how think, many people I can't yeah. tell you how many people that I've worked with over the years um, are not reaching their full potential because of yeah. something that a teacher said to them all those years ago. I mean, uh, you know. My ex-business partner was told by a teacher that he, he couldn't draw and he should never pick up a pencil and try. There so, 
So when he was 50, he went started going to art class because he was smart enough then to to work out that maybe there wasn't something in this. And then he learned to draw. And then he went, oh, okay, yeah. that was all wrong. But that took yeah. like 40 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it does, it lives forever. You know, I, I've known, I used to work with a lady a long time ago called Dr. Eva Hoffman. And Eva, Eva was a Polish lady in the UK and her PhD in the 60s was, was on accelerated learning in the 60s, right? But she was told by a teacher that something she couldn't do. And so she believed it forever. But the difference is here is the people who seem to do well are the ones who take that and say, I'm going to prove you wrong. I can do this. Don't tell me I can't do it. I can do it. And I'll show you I can do it, right? So it's that flip sometimes between accepting that negativity and saying, I'm going to turn this negativity into something positive and show you I can do it. Yeah, and I think it's not a matter of, uh, I mean, as entrepreneurs, I mean, you know, we we work with entrepreneurs, you know, how many we've worked with, it's in hundreds of thousands and, and people still suffer from, you know, I can't launch this business, I don't have the experience, uh, you know, I can't sell, I can't market, I can't create product, blah, 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 blah. It's like a bunch of broken records. But the, yeah. the fact of the matter is that neither could all of the best entrepreneurs on the planet, whether it's yeah. Lee Kai-shing from, from Hong yeah, Kong yeah, or yeah. Elon Musk. Yeah. So, um, and actually, Lee Kai-shing is a really interesting study as an entrepreneur. You know, he's a very old man now. Actually, might have even passed on. I'm not sure. But uh, if not, he'd be in his 80s. But he is, he is one of those amazing people that actually did everything in his business. He did yeah. the accounts. He sold everything. He came up with the ideas. He actually manufactured the first products in his own business. He did every part of his business because... You know, in his mind, he just had to try. So, and he became the wealthiest person in Hong Kong by about 1998 to the year 2000 and held that for at least 15 years. So, so I mean, you know, those type of people, Elon Musk, I mean, tell me he's got a degree in, in spaceships, cars and banking. I mean, no. So it's, it's fascinating. And I think sometimes the fact that... Uh, you know, people like you and I weren't able to go to university. I didn't go till I was 32. Actually was a blessing because I got out of that, you know, one way thinking. By the way, uh, for those of you on the call that don't know the, the meaning of the word university, uni, one, versity, spin, one spin, okay? So when we go to university, we are going to one spin. So we are now academics. Academic comes from the root word is trivia, instead of being a scholar, and the root word of scholar is observer. So, you know, back in the old days, it was a totally different way of learning. We learned from observing. Now we learn from, you know, studying the same sentence five times, like becoming an actor and learning our lines. So Stuart, you're at the, at the cutting edge of education technology. Um, there's different parts of the planet where it's happening far stronger than others. What do you see as the current state of education, both for our youth and for us as entrepreneurs? And what do you see as the future? Well, I think, uh, I think education, um, now I, I'm not gonna say it's a tipping point, but I think there are many challenges now for education. Um, education has always been very conservative because education looks, looks to the past to create the present. 
Yep. Whereas we should be looking to the future to create the present, not the past. And I think uh, uh, what's happened now um, with COVID is that people have been forced to go online to learn things. Skills have been forced to go online. And there are some benefits of doing some things online. Uh, and even though, you know, I'm an ed tech guy and I've been involved and I'm involved with lots of ed tech companies, I don't see ed tech as being the way to learn everything. It's a way to learn and go and apply. Learn and apply, learn and apply. Not just keep on learning to use your point, not just spinning, but go and learn. Observe, understand, apply, learn more, make mistakes, learn more. But education isn't designed like that uh, today. It's designed more to, uh, still in many ways, in the, in the old industrial form, you know, we, we've, got, we've got these many this sort of jobs, we need people to all be the same as this so they can fill these jobs. But, the, but these jobs and the sort of jobs that exist now are moving away much faster than education can change. So technology is now driving the world in many ways, in different directions, continuously. So it used to be that, you know, if you um, did well at school and you, you, you focused on your academic activities, your belief was, I'll then go to potentially a good university um, and hopefully get a good job. And the idea there ultimately really was to probably interact with a network of people who could become your peers and your, com you know, your comrades in the future. So the benefit was in the, the better university you go to, the more informed people you're going to meet, probably the better will be your, you know, your connection, your network and your potential life in the future. And, and that probably still exists, you know, if we're talking of the, of the top 20, 50 universities, they will still give you that. The problem is from there down is that's all changing. You know, it's, it's all being disturbed now. And I think uh, it used to be we were, we were looking to try and change higher education to make it more relevant to the world of work. It's too late. By the time you get higher education, if I use a metaphor, you bake the cake. The cake's already baked. You can't do much with it. You've now got it. So the, the key is now, what do we do with K-12 education? Because up to K-12, children are learning social skills. They're learning how to be humans. But from K-12 onwards, we're starting to teach them more, uh, more world-relevant skills. But those skills need to be taught in a way that, that they find it relevant or they find it engaging. You know, we, when I was at school, you know, you know, pretty exciting for the calculator. Now kids just Google things. You know, here's, yep. here's the answer. But then the danger now of this, of course, is, you know, is Google the right answer? Is the answer Google thinks you should have? That's a, a different question. But I think that, uh, so education has to change. But the issue with education is, um, unlike, say, Finland, I mean, Finland's probably an exception in the sense in Finland, uh, to be a teacher is very aspirational and very difficult to become a teacher. Only 10% of people who apply to be primary school teachers succeed. The demand is so high. Right. That's the only place in the world I know that happens. You know, when I was in Hong Kong, uh, many teachers would stay there doing teaching to get a degree to get a job somewhere else. So it wasn't seen as a long-term profession. Having said that, there are still incredible, wonderful teachers throughout the world but it's not recognized as it should be recognized. So EdTech uh, came along as, as the panacea uh, to help education, but EdTech still needs technology. It still needs Wi-Fi. You still need a device. 
you know, so EdTech was supposed to be the, the, the thing that would level the playing field. But if you're trying to provide EdTech to, to some kids in some rural areas of developing countries, probably they've got no Wi-Fi or, or any tablet. So it ends up EdTech becomes beneficial to the ones who can afford actual devices. So what EdTech should be doing is figuring out how to train teachers more effectively in those areas to become more effective teachers to raise up those children. So that's one area of it, okay? And when it comes to the relevance of education to the real world, um, the gap's getting bigger and bigger. Because um, if, you, if you employ two people now, if I, if I put myself back into the corporate world and, I, and I'm in, I've got two CVs in front of me, and both CVs have good academic qualifications. Maybe one's in the 90% most of the time, and one's 60, 70, 60, 70. In the past, maybe you'd say, okay, I'd take the person with the 90% because they're going to do better. But now you say, now what else have they got? They've got this, but what else? What else can they bring to the role they're going to do, and how can they help us solve problems more effectively? What's their problem-solving skills? What's their non-academic abilities? What have they done? And I think uh, more and more kids need educational experiences. I don't mean just internships. I mean things that relate to the real world or being involved and educated with things that relate to the real world. You know, I mean, you know some of the things we're doing in our schools, Mike, you know, where we're linking curriculum to the, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, things like this. So kids will learn how to be entrepreneurs, how to think from entrepreneur activity in terms of the, the world of you know, environment, sustainability, et cetera. So what they're learning is relevant. And even to the extent we give them things like you know, how to do design thinking, how to use trees, how to use the tools that are being used in the real world in their everyday education. So by the time they get into the real world, they're already prepared. They're going, they're moving. But we are, we are pretty... Uh, we are definitely, uh, you know, an isolated case. But there are many of us around the world now doing this. You know, we, we are probably an isolated case, but many people are looking at doing these things differently. Well, I guess but there's I think, less than 1% trying to do probably. it differently. And it's, it's phenomenal when you look at this because I was doing some research recently for something that some talk I was giving. And, and I was looking at 2030 and 2040. And I, yeah. 2030 even itself was being interesting because they had... I came across a couple of articles, one from Harvard and one for Forbes, which was literally um, the top 20-odd jobs in 2030. I didn't want one of them. Not one would I want to do. Yeah, and yeah, this yeah. is what they're saying. And I go, like, boy, if I'm 18 now and I'm going to be like 30 by, or, you know, nearly 30 in the 2030s, then do I actually want to do any of this stuff? So how, yeah. how can I be prepared for the world or do I just become the drone that gets that degree and goes into, you know, data management, which sounds like the most exciting business on the planet? You know, I, I think, uh, uh, I guess the, 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 the issue is if you can easily explain your job, it'll disappear. Yep. Pretty much, right? And, and I think uh, that's why I come back to the issue of maximizing human potential. And, and, and uh, there's been some research literally this month by, by the OECD on the importance of social emotional skills in children. You know, what skills needs children need. And, and, you know, if you look at all these things, whether you talk about numeracy, literacy, memory skills, or flexible mental skills, they need 
uh, nearly always curiosity, empathy, and sociability. Now, these are things nobody tests for. You know, we don't evaluate these skill sets, but these are very human traits. We all have these, just that we don't think they're important. They're super important now. So that was from the OECD. And then this, this month, um, the World Economic Forum issued a report saying why creativity matters more than IQ. And what they're saying there is if you look at all the, the great achievements in humanity, there are three elements, again, or three elements that they say are always present. Imagination, curiosity, and empathy. So curiosity and empathy appear again and again and again. And these are things that people seem to lose during education because we tend to condition them down. And yet we know, you know, if, if you're, a, you know, anybody has a child, if, if you've got a four-year-old child and you suddenly, they want to learn how to ride a bicycle, you don't give them a, a you know, a manual and say, read this. How are we going to, you know, you get on, you fall off, you get on, you fall off, you learn by doing these things. And so we are, as humans, we are, we are, inherently curious and natural learners it's just that we clamp that down in education well i think that's that's um you know in my studies and it was in one of my books from probably 10 years ago i mean the education system that most countries in the western world come from is an education system designed by um some pretty powerful people in the 1850s and it wasn't designed to get you curious and and have you more sociable and more em empathetic um, and give you imagination it was designed to get you in a space where you go okay i better go work in one of their factories right yeah. because yeah. that's the way forward so it was it's very yeah. wealth building and it's interesting Stuart. i was watching a, a show last night um, and um on the show it, it talked about the guy who developed cellophane right, which we all use around all sorts of things these days. And it came from him watching, he's a scientist, watching wine getting tipped over in a restaurant on a, on a tablecloth and him trying to, to make a tablecloth that was spill resistant. And then he thought, well, plants, leaves are spill resistant. So he took the, the essence of a leaf and, and didn't work for a tablecloth, but the byproduct he created was cellophane. But to me, that's just curious. You sit in a restaurant yeah. and you yeah, see yeah, somebody yeah. tip over a glass of wine. You think yeah. there's a problem that happens all the time. I can probably solve that problem. And, uh, and you know, that's what, creates, that's what creates everything. So do you think today that um, we as primarily entrepreneurs, but people, the, the human race, do you think that we need to... Um, we need to leverage a little bit more. We can't rely on that job. We need to step outside. We need to use our own imagination and curiosity. What would be, be your advice to people now? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the term that, that uh, um, is being used now, and this came out of the World Economic Forum um, report, was cognitive flexibility, which is the right. ability to move between different, different diverse uh, areas or subjects or issues and make some unusual connection or some novel connection, right? And, and I think that's, that's, and that's what innovation is. Ultimately, innovation is taking two or three things you would normally see together and making something new. And we all have that capacity. We all have that capacity. It's just we're not allowed to exercise it. And I think, you know, in, and in fact, 
the, the WF went on to say that the best entrepreneurs are the ones who've got the highest levels of cognitive flexibility. The ability to build you know, diverse things, different things, and make something new out of it. And, and I think that's because they're not, they're not scared of it being wrong first. You know, it's not an issue. I, I, um, I did an experiment uh, maybe a year, well, before COVID, okay? I, I went to a classroom with a bunch of kids who were five years old or six years old, and I, and I asked a couple of questions. And uh, it was random questions, but all the kids put their hands up. Because, you know, I, I sparked their imagination, what, what the answer could be. They've all got 10,000, and they're all shouting out answers at the same time. Wall of noise, right? They're all five-year-old kids. If I then, and I did do this, I put all their parents into a classroom uh, in the evening, and I asked them a question, no one raises their hands. And you think, what's happened between five and this 20-year-old, 30-year-old person that means they've got no desire to answer the question. Now, in the kids' heads would be their imaginations, their curiosity. Well, it could be this, could be this, could be this. In the parents' heads are issues of anxiety. Don't get it wrong. Don't ask a stupid question. So my, my fear is that we've got a whole bunch of people out there now uh, who will never realise their potential because of the education system. Yep. And, and my, my own view of this and, with, you know, with the things like we do with you guys, you know, the YX program, the Entrepreneur X Factor program for kids, if you let kids ponder on large global problems, they come up with some incredible ideas. Absolutely. Mind because goes. they're not conditioned to think in a certain way. So they exactly. ask questions. Why not? Why can't we do this? Right. So, so that's they, all of us. So why do we stop it? So I, I think you know, that's, that's why, uh, you know, my belief is, that's why I'm focusing a lot more on, on let's say, the K-12 side at the moment. But, but we need entrepreneurs at K-12 level to become entrepreneurs when they're older and do more and more things in the world. And I think um, it used to be that people uh, didn't see entrepreneurship as a profession, but now they do. Now, if you ask any kid what they want, I want my own company. You know, I want an online business. I want to do this. But I want a business that makes a difference. I want something that's got uh, a purpose, something that can make a difference, not just I want lots of money. It's got to be good for people. It's got to do this. So they've also got ethics, right, which many older people haven't got. Yep. So we must, we must ensure that we don't uh, dampen down or stop this potential that we all have inside us of growing. Because if you don't do this, my fear is if we don't do this, we will not be able to solve the problems we're now going to face in the world going forward. You know, and, and the problems are going to be, we don't even know what the problems are going to be. Um, and I don't put all my hope in AI. I put my hope in, in maximizing human potential. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that you said earlier, I think is the answer to this, and that's the, the education of teachers. And, you know, the education of educa educators really is, is probably the primary importance because as you, were, as you were speaking, I was thinking, well, this is very much what the Egyptians said, which is the duat. The duat is black or white, um, up or down, north or south, you know, hot or cold. So you're either right or you're wrong. But actually yeah. the space in between there yeah. for, for all sorts of answers. I mean, uh, you know, there's, 
there's 20 different ways to make a plane fly. There's a hundred different ways to cook a great meal, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So, so yep. all of these things are fantastic. And I know that you, as you've been developing and working through the different education aspects, you've also been, you know, very much becoming the entrepreneur yourself. And, you know, you've been allowing your creative mind to really flow. And one of the things I really enjoy about you is um, how you take the complex and make it simple. And if I look at that hat behind you, that's really taking the complexity and making it simple. And for those people who are watching on their phones who may not be able to see it or because they've got me on their screen at the moment, it says from me to we. And so I want to dig into that now and, and get into um, where did that come from and what does it mean? It's, um, well, it's something that's just been in, well, first of all, you know, you, you know me and you, you know I like, uh, um, doodling, okay. I like I, my my way of, of creating is doodling. I I draw ideas, and that's because my originally I, I was a design engineer, so that was my background. So I draw ideas. I don't necessarily write things down, and but I I keep lots of uh, journals and I draw things in journal ideas in journals. I know you do as well, and I, I might go back three years later and say, wow, if I take that I did three years ago and link this thing I'm doing now, I've got this. And I do that quite a lot. And, and we can all do it. We all have the capacity to do these things, right? And um, so what, what I did when I was looking at education, my, my about when I was in Hong Kong, actually, and I was doing a lot of work in Finland and Hong Kong at the time. And I was saying, this is, Hong Kong education system is killing these kids, literally killing kids. They were, they were suicides of kids because they weren't achieving the right results or whatever. It was, it was tragic. Korea is really bad. Yeah, Korea. and I was thinking... Terrible yeah. for, for so, so basically, education was a competition in parts of Asia. And unless you can be number one, don't bother trying. That's, you know, number one is the most important thing. And then I saw, but education in Finland is about collaboration, not about competition, it's collaboration. So, so that, that little seed in my head was me to we. Right? Do we focus on me or do we focus on we? And, and what does the world need in the future? It doesn't need lots of people who only focus on themselves. It wants people who can focus on themselves and others. Otherwise, we can't move forward. And I made a little, a little symbol. In fact, I think I gave, I gave a, a shirt to you and Londi when I came on the, on the platinum yep. course in, remember in South Africa. We said, uh, flip your thinking, me to we. And me, upside down, is we. Right? Yep. So you flip me to we. It means the same thing. Um, but then I, I thought later on, I, I want to make this into something. And the reason I want to make it into something is I did a, I did a session with uh, Sue Fuller Good, who's also in the Circle of Excellence, okay? Yep. And Sue's got this great thing called Energy Incubator. So Sue did an, an evaluation for me called Five Lenses. And one of those lenses is uh, global connection, meaning what you're, you know, as you, you're, a, and Sue said, I want to say something to you, you're off the scale. I said, what do you mean? You're off the scale on global, I've never seen it before. You're so far to the right, you're almost off the scale. And global connection means that you, you, have, a, you have no difficulty in basically connecting to people or on seeing the bigger picture importance of people connecting together. So when she told me that, I thought, I've got to do something about this. You know, what can I do with, if I have this, and I'm sure I'm not on my own having this, but if I have this, what can I do with it? And that's when I was thinking, okay, maybe I can make a brand 
out of out of this concept of me to we. So I I uh, I contacted Michael Herrera M, the fashion designer. Okay, and Michael and I are, are good friends, and we've been in contact. So Michael's got a lot of passion around entrepreneurship for kids, and so he and I knew each other, and and uh, and so I had, I had this brand concept. It said, uh, "Flip your thinking from me to we." But Michael added, "Flip your thinking me to we." Show some love, and that oh. one term, "show some love," just like a light bulb came in my head, right? This is about empathy. This is about togetherness. This is about people doing things together. And that was the, that was the, uh, if you like, the, the seed of, of thinking of doing something. And that, uh, that then, you know, so the idea of me to we as a movement became more of a concept in my head. And then fashion, fashion was a way to, to facilitate that product or the first product in the movement because because Michael also has the same passions and the same desires, so we connected together. Um, but um, Michael also um, is very diverse, you know, he's different to me. So I'm a Westerner, Michael's from Asia, Michael's a fashion designer, I was an engineer. Uh, but our diversity enhanced our ability to create new ideas together, which is another lesson to be learned, okay? So all these things, me to we, is better. So he's, he's one, I'm one, but together we do things even better. So, so that was like another fundamental, you know, lesson what, what goes forward. So the Me To We brand was, was born. Then, of course, okay, now we're talking about a fashion brand. And what are the big issues at the moment? It's, it's fashion brands are things like, you know, is it sustainable? Is it environmentally friendly? Which is also about Me To We, humans yep. to the planet. Right? Are we doing things that are good for the planet? So the Me To We brand comes in there. Us human beings, we the planet. We've got one planet for all of us. Are we looking after it? So the idea was we would use the, the uh, context of fashion, because fashion is, uh, people wear things all the time, okay? So fashion is something we always have to use every day. It's, it's fun, but also it's a nice way to wear a statement about what you believe in. And that was the idea. So, so that's where it came from. So literally we started about um, December last year. And uh, what we've done is we've, we've, uh, we've made a range, and this is like part of the range behind me. This is, this is the draft, first draft range. And we'll, we'll, we'll fine tune it down. But Michael's looking at things like, you know, to make sure that the materials are, I mean, I'm wearing, I'm wearing now a recycled, recycled uh, cotton with our brand on it, okay? So it's recycled. So what we're doing is, even though we're talking about a brand of me to we, the brand needs to reflect the values of what Me Too is all about. In this context, taking care of the planet. And so many brands, Stuart, don't reflect the values of what it's about. And so many brands are, are so ad hoc and they're put together because they've, you know, people have organically grown their brands. And, you know, I think we've all done that to an extent. But isn't it nice to um, be really purposeful in, in building a brand? And I know... Um, you sent me through a, a picture that you wanted to share, and I don't know if it's relevant to do that now, but uh, feel free to if you want to, because this concept of me to we is actually a concept that starts in education, but it's actually should be, you know, something that we're all doing. I mean, one of the reasons we have these communities and we do these webinars is not only so that we can hear from great people with great ideas and great insights, it's so that the people on these webinars can get to know each other. 
And, you know, I'm proud to say that, and you know this because you know one of them in our, our communities, you work with her closely, found um, her husband through one of our communities. So, I mean, you know, and they fell in love through one of our communities. So, I mean, that's that's really from me to we in, in that situation as well. And I think if you if you're building any sort of community, which every single person on this call should be doing, and some of you are doing it to a lesser extent, some of you are doing it to more of an extent, then having that concept of really allowing people to plug and play in that community as they wish to, I think is brilliant. Okay, so we've got the picture up, so uh, talk us through it. Yeah, well, this, I mean, as I, as I uh, um, you know, I, I tend to, to scribble things out, okay, so this is just some of the philosophy, I guess, behind what Me Too is all about. Um, I, and I keep on doing more and more of these as they shoot to my mind. Um, but basically the idea is, and it came also from the fact that if you look at the, the little diagram in the top right-hand corner of, of, the, of the page, this one here, right? Yep. It's about a mindset issue. And it doesn't matter um, how much you want to do things on your own and how great you think you are, you're still going to be working within the confines of what you're capable of achieving. And no one person can do everything. It's just not possible. So if you want to achieve a lot of things, we need to collaborate. And collaboration achieves a lot more than the individuals. But collectively, we can do a lot more together. And that was the idea of this. I mean, and this also came from the context of, I felt that there was so many people now living in silos, uh, in their own silo, and they only see the world from their own perspective. Uh, and they have no, I mean, this is a much bigger picture view of it. They have no uh, empathy for other people or their own situation. And, and, I, and I think if we're going to solve the big problems of the world, we have to at least understand somebody else's perspective. Even if we don't agree with it, we've got to have an appreciation for it. So the little chart in the middle at the top here is about empathy. And all those little dots around the outside represents people's perspective on a problem. Everyone's got a different perspective on a problem. You know, and that perspective is related to your, your experience, your knowledge, whatever, but you'll have, you have a perspective on that problem. So you, you'll have your me view of that situation. But if we're talking about empathy and the ability to respect people's perspectives, and it could be all colors, all races, we need to also take that consideration. So I'm saying probably, and I'm not seeing here like, you know, it's not like a, we are, we've got a committee to, to, to design a horse and we've got a camel. It's not that situation. It's we need to take into consideration perspectives and views to find the best solutions from the people who have the best ideas and knowledge. So then on the, on the, on the top uh, left-hand side, you now we've got uh, 8 billion people almost. We've got one planet. And, and uh, even though we're now trying to educate kids around the issues of sort of... Uh, sustainability and, and the environment, I believe we have more chance of converting them to become more uh, global citizens than we do with many people who are in their 30s or 40s or 50s even, because they don't see it as their problem. In actual fact, it's a problem for future generations, which we have to solve. So my idea is, look, there's, there's no plan B. We, we need plan Earth. And that's, you know, that's the idea behind the Me Too We fashion situation, is you know, we're driving this, this future activity of fashion. And off the back of this, we'll do education and sustainability for kids in fashion or some idea of those sort of things, you know. So we'll build all those things in. Also around entrepreneurship. And I'm a big believer in entrepreneurship for education. 
And then if you come down to, to this little diagram here, what I'm saying here is we can get very inspirational people in the world, and there are many inspirational people in the world, and they can make, they can make a change. But if they're inspiring nobody and doing it on their own, the actual change is low. If we can get more people to just move a little bit, then we create a much bigger change. So that's why the idea of the brand is a movement, the me to we movement, as opposed to a brand. It's actually how do we move people to have a different perspective and to think differently. And then, you know, this, this sort of thing down here, I mean, you know, I, there's nothing wrong in, in, in being able to share more togetherness. And, and being together will solve problems. Being apart is more difficult to solve problems. It's just one of those things. And this is, again, an activity. And here I'm just showing a little sketch, okay? So, so on your own, you'll get to a point where you can't go any faster. But if we're doing a relay race, we're going to keep changing the button and we move much faster. And then the other thing that's you know, important to me is, as I get older, is we can't recycle time. This is not something that we can just run away and say, okay, this will solve itself in 10 years. No, it won't. We've got to do something about it to solve it ourselves. Now, my focus is to try and solve it by helping the kids who are you know, in school today understand what they need to do to solve the problems. But they can't do it on their own. They need adults to also be involved and think about these things. And this isn't just about the planet. This is also about the ability to have empathy for other people and get on with people. And this, this was my original idea, okay? Flip your thinking. So me, basically, flip reflects we. So when you flip your thinking, you go from me to we. And, and this is where Michael added to it, you know, flip your thinking, me to we, show some love, which is basically what this is, right? Show some empathy for people. So this was one of my little sketches that I did uh, um, a few weeks ago, looking at these sort of things. And we'll probably make, you know, products out of these things in the future, I don't know. But, it, but the idea is these are all in their own right little metaphors for what we're trying to do. So, so that's my, you know, that's, that's how I, this is how I think of ideas by using this sort of a approach. You must have a fantastic journal full of these type of things, Stuart. But I mean, this, this one uh, from me to we, I think, has, has got so many applications. As I was listening to you talking, I was thinking, well, you could almost subset this so you could have me to we environment, which is saving the planet. And you could link up with, say, uh, my buddy Andy Steele, who runs Plant a Tree Today, and you could have a tree on the back of it. He could sell these T-shirts, essentially, all the fashion, and then have a portion of that go to plant a tree today. You could, you could link up with education and you could do the education meter where you could do entrepreneurship. You could do all sorts of things here. And I think, but more importantly, what you're teaching here every time that you share this and by just wearing a shirt, and sometimes it's this easy as to remind people that we're not alone. And, yeah. and you know, I was talking to somebody about this recently, but I was an only child. So, and, and, you know, I always had to work things out by myself. So I actually felt I was actually taught that it was a sign of weakness to go and ask for help, that you had to sort stuff out yeah. for yourself. So that doesn't serve you very well because you can't sort stuff out for yourself that well if you're trying to do it all by yourself. So for probably 15 years, I had in my diary as an adult, right on the front page, always ask for help. So in other words, go from me to we in that. And just the simple fact that when I get stuck, I'd try and work things out and then I'd be going into my old patterns. Then I'd see this in my diary and I go, oh, I better ask for help. And then suddenly the problem got solved because in my mind, one plus one equals 11. So um, 
you know, you just get to where you want to go faster. So I, I love what, you, what you're doing here. And I think it's a great message for every single person on this call is, you know, we're not in competition with each other. You know, we, we're in collaboration with each other if we choose to be. And um, I'll never forget going back 20 years when I was first in entrepreneurship. And I, I ran a, a, some investment companies and I had a competitor that was just, he was actually really starting to get under my nose really badly. He was undermining me and all sorts of things. So I, I flew two hours to where his head office was and um, I rung him up and said, I'm in town, I want to take you for coffee. And strangely, he agreed. And when we actually sat down for coffee, this is what happened. This is the short version. He said to me, you're actually a really good guy. I really like you. And by the way, I've realized you're not actually doing anything like what I'm doing. I'm doing something entirely different. My focus is the Australian market. Your focus is the New Zealand market. How about we collaborate and you give me all your Australian business and I'll give you all my New Zealand business. I went, that's great. And we both made a lot more money. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a me to we sort of scenario that, and that really stuck with me because sometimes your competitors can actually be your best centers of influence going forward. So Stuart, in the, in the 10 minutes that we've got left and we're going to take some questions from people. There's been lots of great comments here in, in the chat. I, even I've been struggling to, to keep up with them. What's the overall thing that you would like to share with us to sort of bring this to a close? Well, I, I think it's, it's um, this started off as, a, as a, um, an idea to, to try and shift a little bit of education concepts, okay? But actually, it, it becomes an issue much more to me because um, I'm not saying I have a fear of a, of a dystopian future, but I do have a fear of undermining and not maximizing human potential. And, and, uh, and I think, uh, you know, we, we, we have this incredible thing in, that we are born with, which is our imagination. And we're also born with the ability to be curious. And curious leads to uh, using imagination, trust leads to innovation. And we're all born with this. And I think that, uh, you know, I mean, and I look, I, I'm a big supporter of AI, you know, I'm in ed tech and things, but to me, that's only a tool. It's not something that should be telling us what to do or how to do it. Um, so my fear is, in fact, in fact, Mike, if I go, you know, if I go through a lot of the stuff, you know, your books and things in the past, you talk about some of the, you know, the previous civilizations and things, how, how advanced these people were. And all these things, well, where, where, where's all that gone to? We've lost all that. What's happened exactly. to them? Where is it, you know? So, so I think that um, we cannot become um, lazy in the sense that very acceptance, you know, of, of things going on. I mean, I'll get, let me give you an example where I, I recognized about um, the power of, of what's happening with um, algorithms and, and these issues, right? I mean, I buy, you know, like most, I buy books from Amazon. And of course, when Amazon first say, oh, this is a good book, you should buy this book or this book or this book, I think, wow, it's really cool. I didn't know that book existed. So they're running their algorithm, you know, against me, against the 10,000 people who've got similar books. So if you bought this book, you might want to buy this book. And then eventually I thought, wait a minute, they're taking away my curiosity. Yep. They're telling me what to be curious about. I don't want that. Or if I want to buy a book on Mongolian camping cooking or something, I don't know. But why would I want you know, that's never going to come up? So the danger is we become compliant in a different way 
Okay. I mean, education, I feel we, we became compliant because of the way we were measuring the success of education. My fear is with AI, we become compliant in the, in the convenience of that and not maximize our human potential. So, uh, you know, we have, we have AI, artificial intelligence, we should also have uh, AI accumulated knowledge, accumulated experience that we take on as humans. And that's where our future is, not so much in the AI as a tool. But unless we maximize what we can do, then we're always going to become subservient in some way. That's my longer term fear. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, Elon Musk is a, is a great proponent of, of AI has moved way too fast and it's out of control and we're going we're gonna to rue the day. And in fact, we're lucky at the moment because there's very, very, well, there's no real artificial intelligence at the moment on the planet. It's all no. augmented intelligence. Yeah. But, um, but And some smart people have been, um, you know, recording the wisdom of the elders. And I would definitely say to anybody on this call, if you've got a 80 or 90 year old grandparent or mother or father, go and record their stories, put the video on and record them. Um, we have a lady in Melbourne who's a client of ours, Pat McWhorter. She's one of Australia's best known bird vets. Oh, she is their best known bird vet. And, and uh, she actually did this and it, it, uh, the ABC in Australia turned it into a documentary series on her parents, which actually became you know, a story, a, well, uh, a story from the Second World War um, that mm. otherwise would have been lost. So there's mm. lots, as lots of nuggets there. Now, Elmarie's asked, uh, Stuart, your sketch as an ideas are incredible. Can we use it on social media and credit you with the link? If so, what link? So if you can uh, answer that one. Yeah, no, it's okay. You can you can uh, you can use it on social media as long as you. I think it's got my name on there somewhere anyway. Okay. If you maybe link, link it, it back to his LinkedIn profile or something. Yeah, my LinkedIn profile is fine. That's okay. Yeah, it's it's nice to get the uh, nice to get the idea out there. And I think uh, you know what it's given us today, Stuart, is it's given us a lot of different ways to see the world. Um, I I love and I put them in the chat earlier. The three words: curiosity, um, empathy, and the third one was sociability. Um, and I think they're three things that we can encourage, not only in our children, but in ourselves. And you're right in what you said. It was only yesterday I was on a call to a lady from uh, Pennsylvania in the US. And she actually asked me this question. I haven't been asked it for a little while. She said, what gets you up in the morning and why are you still doing this? Mm. And I said, I said, I'm actually still doing it for the same reason I started doing it. It's because everybody has so much potential, but most people never reach even a, a a drop in their potential and if i can help people reach more of their potential than they believe possible then that's why i do it so um so i think that's your message too and i want to i really want to congratulate and acknowledge you on that and uh is there a place we can get a t-shirt oh, no no you'll have to wear them afraid okay we, we're we've been held up by covid but you can go you can go to the website which is uh the and you can leave your email there. And uh, when we have the catalog available, we'll send you a copy. Meetawemovement.com. You can also check us out. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Well, that'll be easy enough to find. Stuart, thanks so much. Any final questions from anybody? I'll take that as a, as a no. Uh, next week... Uh, same time for, for us, but if you're in New Zealand, you're on daylight savings, so please adjust your time.
And uh, next week you'll be with me. I can't remember what I'm talking about at the moment, but it'll be something engaging for sure. Mike, Thanks. Mike, can, I, yes, can, I just, sure. can I just do a quick shout out? Sorry. Can I, can I just say that uh, um, if anyone wants to read my article, you should download the lead magazine, which, which I have to say, you know, is, is a fantastic magazine with great articles from many wonderful people. So, so I don't think you can show, show the link there, Mike, but there's some great articles in there from great people. Mine is also in there as well. Yeah, and it's a great article, and it's uh, actually uh, towards the back of Lead Magazine. I've put the link in there, Lead-Magazine. doesn't cost you anything. You've just got to um, subscribe, and you'll get, uh, get the magazine there. And uh, if you're in our network already, you, you're already subscribed probably, so you should be able to open it. You can also look at the back issues if you want to, so they're there. Stuart, thanks so much. We're coming up right on the hour. Folks, thanks for being on our call today. That's Stuart Patton, me. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks, Bye. everyone.